Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Uh, we've been on a little hiatus for a couple of weeks. Of course, you know, and I like to remind you, that when we get into the fall season, which is planting season, it's also that uh, football season. And, of course, we have had a couple of UGA games on Saturday at this time, so we've not been here, but we're back today. And I understand, you know, I'm not a big uh, football guy and this is not a sports show so i'm not going to dwell on it but i understand that tonight is a big game that uh the bulldogs are headed to play a championship against alabama is that right (laughs) I'll, i'll say this just a quick story about it so of course i studied at uga i didn't study football I didn't study football ecology. (laughs) I studied horticulture, which is all things gardening. And while I was there, I didn't attend one, not one football game. Again, I'm just not a big sports guy. But, uh, well, and another thing is I commuted. I was a commuter student to UGA, so I left uh, my hometown of Gainesville, just south of here, and would travel every day for classes and come back home. And so I was surely not going to go to Athens on a Saturday when I've been there every day just to watch a football game, which I don't really care for. (laughs) But I did meet a good friend uh, at UGA. He's become a good friend. Uh, He's from Gainesville, too. And so we keep in touch. And I asked him just this week, I said, how do you feel about this game? How do you feel? Are they going to win? Are they going to make it? Because I haven't been following. I don't know. Uh, They say we're number one in the country, right? But, of course, Alabama's a tough team, tough to beat. He says, well, I'll say this. I am scared. (laughs) He's scared. So he's a little nervous about tonight, and that's coming from a guy who follows football more than me. But that's really not why we're here. I just wanted to let you know that the reason we've not been here for a couple of weeks is because of the UGA football game. So we're back in action to talk all things gardening, and we got to catch up on some things. We've got to catch up on questions from last month. Uh, for a few weeks, I've been delayed on getting Q&As for certain reasons, partly me and partly UGA. We won't blame it on the dogs, though. We hope they do win. I don't wish them any defeat, but I just don't uh, follow them. So today we are answering your questions. We're getting into the mailbag, the mailbox, the email inbox. However, you have sent questions, whether it was via NewSouthernGarden.com on the contact us page or uh, some of these questions, actually two of them come from the uh, Facebook page. So if you have not followed us on Facebook and Instagram, be sure to just type in at New Southern Garden and we will be there. If you ever want to tag us, if you ever want to tag us in a photo of some uh, wonderful plants or maybe some plants that uh, don't look so good and you'd like some help with, just uh, send us a message or in the description of your picture, the comment in your picture, uh, just write at 
New Southern Garden, the at symbol and New Southern Garden. And that will tag us. It will show up and we'll be glad to help diagnose any problems you may have if there's something bugging your begonias or pestering your petunias, which uh, if you've got begonias and petunias this time of year, you're in luck because the frost has really just done a number to all of the annual plants that we have out there. Your beautiful annual containers, uh, if you haven't replaced them already with fall or winter plants like violas and pansies, and we've talked on and on about containers uh, earlier this year, but earlier this fall. Uh, but if you haven't done that already, you can continue to do that. You may not find too many options in the plant nursery this late. But if you need to replace your vinca, I was at a lady's house uh, this week and she asked, she said, uh, these vinca are turning brown, but there's still some green on them. I said, well, don't worry, that green won't last for much longer. Go ahead and take out those vinca and put pansies, petunias, uh, dusty millers, uh, cabbages, kales, whatever uh, is still available. Grab it up, scoop it up, put it in your shopping cart and take it to the checkout stand because it needs to go into your containers or your annual beds as soon as possible while the ground is still relatively warm. Uh, trying to get those uh, fall and winter annuals in as soon as you can is a good idea. Not too early where it's still dreadly, terribly hot, dreadfully, terribly hot. Uh, but now it is getting fairly late and you may not find too many options in the plant nurseries. But... Uh, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me. We've still got some few options, and we are working on potting up some combinations because over winter, you may find that you need a certain uh, flowering plant for the holidays uh, or maybe just to spruce up the place a bit, and we're going ahead and potting up larger combinations that can be inserted into your existing containers without even having to plant them. They'll be in their own pot with their own soil, and you can just insert them into your pot, and they're flowering and blooming. Those are in the cold frame right now, so they're working their way to some beauty. But again, today is all about your questions. And so with that, let's go ahead and get started because I do want to make sure we get these in. Um, sometime back on Facebook, I posted a meme. I'm not exactly sure what a meme is, but sometimes it's a photo with words on it, uh, something culturally relevant. This is really like a little cartoon. We used to call them comics back in my day, you know? <laughs> but if you can imagine this, and you can check this out on uh, Facebook if you want to see the meme, uh, but it's, a, it's like a uh, police lineup with some suspects, but they're plants. And then looking at the suspects are two trees. One of the trees is the victim, and the other tree is the police officer. And the police officer tree is asking the, um, the victim, yes, ma'am, they're all very creepy, but which one strangled your husband? And the lineup is a potted ivy, a potted kudzu, a potted wisteria, and a potted clematis. So, Little goofy, little funny, hopefully, if you want to check it out, it's better to look at it than to, uh, <laughs> to listen to me describe it. But if you can imagine this, we've got these culprits, we've got these perpetrators, Ivy, Kudzu, Wisteria, and Clematis, which can all be quite invasive. And so the police officer is asking the wife of the, uh, the, the victim, I guess, yes, ma'am, they're all very creepy, but which one strangled your husband? Was it the Wisteria? Was it the Kudzu? So we posted that some time back, but Karen, a uh, good listener of the program, Karen saw this and asked, I have a serious question. In Europe, they use mature trees as support for climbing vines. 
Here in the States, gardeners believe climbing vines strangle trees, which is correct. And I did respond to, uh, to Karen. I overlooked this for some time. I think that it was submitted shortly after the passing of my mother, so I, I think it got pushed down in the mailbox. But regardless, I apologize for the delay. Uh, so it is a good question. Do vines strangle trees? And I would respond with, yes, they can. They can to some degree. Uh, let's start off with the concept of girdling. Girdling. Now, not much uh, popular today, but back in the day, girdles were very popular in women's fashion. <laughs> and I've never seen one. I've just heard about them. But the concept is they wrap around your waist and hold you very tightly. <laughs> well, girdling in trees or plants is the same concept. Girdling occurs when something is wrapping around the circumference of the tree and the tree is growing or the plant is growing and that uh, it, it may be a vine wrapped around the tree. It may be a piece of wire that you and I were using to stake the tree and it's still there. It may be, it may be a string. It may be some twine, something that's wrapped around the tree pretty snugly, pretty tight as the tree grows. As the tree grows, that uh, girdle, whatever that is, a wire, a vine, a string, grows into the tree, and it just squeezes the tree right at the bark. Well, as I've already mentioned to you before, right inside of the bark of a tree or plant is the vascular system. Now, the vascular system in a tree is much like our veins and arteries. It's what gives uh, water to the leaves from the roots, and from the leaves, uh, those vascular systems, vascular tubes, uh, they send nutrition down to the roots. So it's the way that plants transport food, nutrition, water. But when a girdle happens, it will become so tight and basically sever those tubes in half, and then everything above the girdle will die. So in theory, Karen, a vine could girdle a tree, and it does happen all the time, especially in the wild, uh, with these very aggressive, invasive weeds, vines like kudzu and wisteria. That can happen, particularly with the wisteria. Now, other than girdling, there is another way that these vines can overcome a large tree. You see, when a vine starts growing, it's way down at the ground, well below the canopy of the tree, and it's growing in the shade. But that tree's goal in life is to reach up as tall as it can and spread out to acquire as much light as it can so that it can grow and continue uh, to cover and multiply itself. So once something like English ivy, uh, kudzu, maybe wisteria, even some of the invasive clematis, whenever these vines reach to the top of a tree, they don't grow any further because there's no more tree to climb, but instead they grow outwards and they will cover the top of that tree and they will in some sense, sort of suffocate the tree. They will prevent the tree's leaves from acquiring light to go through photosynthesis, which, of course, makes food for the plant. So by that uh, vine covering the leaves, they're essentially forcing the plant to starve itself. And yes, it can be very detrimental. It can be problematic. So 
I wouldn't necessarily use the word strangle because strangle is sort of like a windpipe being cut off. Uh, But in a sense, vines can either wrap around and girdle the tree, which is very disastrous, or a second mode of attack. The vines will climb up the side of the tree, up the branches, into the top of the canopy, and shade out the tree's leaves. Now, if you look out in the wild, (laughs) you will see kudzu in the summer. Right now, you'll see it, but it's very brown. It's already been hit with the frost. And it does a very good job of covering all the leaves of our beautiful native trees, whether it's maples or oaks or even pine trees. It will cover the tops of those trees, and it will suffocate them. Wisteria does the same thing. Uh, But wisteria has a very uh, natural inclination to twine around and wrap around a tree. Kudzu usually just climbs and builds on itself, but it does have tendrils that can reach out and and wrap around. But see, those tendrils are not woody. Uh, The entire kudzu plant gets hit by the cold, and it dies back to the ground, and it starts over even stronger next spring. But wisteria is a woody vine, and that wood is not going to die. It's going to get thicker and tighter around the circumference of your tree's trunk. So, yes, Karen... um, Trees can be uh, uh, can can be uh, killed by certain vines, but what you're saying is that in Europe, people do have mature trees as support, and it is very possible. Uh, in the message that I sent to you, I did mention that I think what is the reality here is that Europeans are probably showing more care for their vine-tree combinations than we Americans. We tend to be uh, less involved in our landscapes. We want plants that are low-maintenance, plants that don't take a lot of work and effort. But there are a lot of things that they do in Europe in their landscape that are high-maintenance. And they seem to enjoy it. They seem seem to like it. If you look at anything uh, gardening in in, uh, France, a lot of of pruning goes on a lot of unique pruning topiaries and things like that and the same in england they have hedges large hedges that they have to shear multiple times a year and i don't know if we americans really want to do all that kind of work (laughs) so it is more likely that in europe someone who's paying close attention to their vines climbing up the trees that they may be taking care and maintaining that vine tree combination you can do it You can make a vine climb up a tree successfully that both the vine and the tree survive. But it takes a little bit of work. It takes a good bit of work because vines grow very quickly and they need a lot of maintenance when it comes to that. So, Karen, thanks for commenting on that meme on New Southern Garden's Facebook page. And when we get back, more of your questions. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at newsoutherngarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. You know what, gang? There is something very special, in my mind at least, uh, about gardening in the South. I think that, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just a little partial because I've grown up here and never moved away and loved it. I've visited other places and have enjoyed traveling to see other locations and what they do in their gardens and landscapes. But I think that growing in the South is very special. And I would almost say that, you know, God created this little of earth down here in the southeastern United States for gardening. Yes, there is some discussion we could have about all the tropical places. I went to Hawaii this year, and oh, about 11 years ago, I went to Venezuela, and those folks down there can grow all kinds of things. Been to Mexico, the Yucatan Peninsula, uh, for our honeymoon I, uh, in 2014. Do the math, I guess. How many years have I been married? <laughs> oh, I'm getting trouble. But No matter where you go, you can see unique and creative things that people are doing. But see, here in the South, we have a a, a real summer, sometimes hot and brutal and dry, (laughs) but it's a real summer. And then we have a real winter. It's not terribly cold. It's not, uh, yes, we get into the freezing temperatures, but it's not the well below freezing temperatures, negative zeros or whatever, you know. We don't get in the very low temperatures. But what that allows us to do is to grow a wide variety of plants. Can we grow everything on earth? Absolutely not. There's not many um, tropical plants we can grow outdoors. There are some plants that are sort of tropical we can grow outdoors, but there are also plants that we can grow here Uh, that folks cannot grow up north, even as far as New York. Uh, Camellia is a great example. Camellia is sort of a strictly southern plant, which is why it is is so uh, reminiscent of the south, you know, because we have the right climate for it. And right now, camellias are blooming like crazy. At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, uh, the Sasanqua camellias have been going out the doors. We've got some that are still present, some that are loaded with buds, and some that are about to crack and pop open. Now, if you are looking for something this holiday season, of course, Thanksgiving is just behind us, but we've got Christmas coming ahead. Sasanqua camellias, some of them can bloom as late as Christmas. And so if you come out to the nursery or, or even your own local, if you're not in my area, your local nursery and garden center, you will find these Sasanqua camellias. And if you find a say, Sasanqua camellia with buds still on it, then uh, real tight buds, then it'll probably open up for Christmas time and can really add some beauty to your landscape. And anybody who is coming to celebrate Christmas with you, uh, they will be able to enjoy that flowering plant. Now, the other kind of camellia that we've got uh, usually in our landscapes is the Japanese camellia. The Japanese camellia doesn't bloom before Christmas. It blooms usually after the new year. Uh, Most of them bloom in February, March. Still a winter bloomer, but a late winter bloomer. So if you're looking for early winter color on a shrub, 
go with a Sasanqua. If you're looking for late winter color, go with a Japanese Camellia. But just keep in mind that Japanese Camellias bloom so late that they may be hindered by frosts. Late frost will usually, as the flower opens, a late frost uh, will freeze those petals and they may turn brown pretty quickly. So it can be sort of a year-by-year beauty or eh, not so hot. But still, the Japanese camellias are great. They're thick, they're evergreen, they make a great screen or hedge. If you need something in between you and your neighbor and it's sort of a shady spot, then feel free to use that Japanese camellia. I don't think you'll be discouraged or disappointed, uh, but it does have that problem of late winter freezes. Still a great plant. So I made a detour off of my discussion about the South, but there are many plants that we can grow here in the South, and I just think that it's a great place to be and a great place to grow. I don't mind traveling to other places, but I couldn't imagine living and growing a garden anywhere else. And I think that uh, some of our other listeners probably feel the same way, especially Vicki, because she is actually talking. Um, she sent us a message on Facebook sometime back that I've overlooked. I apologize, Vicki. But she is talking about a plant that is particularly southern. It is a native plant to the southeast. And that's bottle brush buckeye. So here's what she says. Uh, Vicky says, I was hoping you could give me some ideas on large scale spreading type bushes for a sunny slope uh, that we carry at the nursery. I love bottle brush buckeye, but uh, here it's a slow grower. We just love your podcast and have several gorgeous plants from your nursery. Well, first of all, Vicki, thank you so much for listening to the program. And also, thank you for coming out to Lanier Nursery and Gardens uh, because we do try to carry a lot of native plants. We do try to carry uh, a lot of unusual plants. You know, I went through a box store the other day. I won't mention which one, but it does have a lot of orange on the walls. <laughs> and that box store, of course, has a little garden center. And, of course, they had uh, fresh-cut Christmas trees uh, this past week. But the only plants they really had were hollies, camellias, and arborvitaes. And there were some more hollies and some more camellias and more arborvitaes. Not, a much, not much selection in these uh, box store garden centers this time of year. But at the plant nurseries, whether it's Lanier Nursery and Gardens or somewhere else, you will probably find a great selection. But let's get to the bottle brush buckeye. Vicki, it sounds like you are looking for a larger shrub, but that does spread. You mentioned that it's a sunny slope, so we've got to keep that in mind. We've got to have something that is going to thrive in a sunny uh, site. And yes, bottle brush buck, I think, is a smart choice. Uh, but I see your concern is that it grows slow. It is listed as a slower grower, but I will mention that at the nursery, we don't sell a lot of bottle brush buckeyes. But I love the plant, and they're easy to grow. And we have taken small plants about mid-calf high, so the middle of your calf, that's where they started, and we have doubled and tripled some of those in just two or three years. So now, in their plant pots, I am looking at the top of the plant, and one of them is almost taller than me in a pot. So I think you could use bottle brush buckeye, but if you want to get a little speed to it, a little Fast, uh, fast growth. Do like we do and put this plant, once you've installed it in the landscape, put it uh, in a rigorous fertilizer regimen. Be religious about it. Put it on the calendar and hold to it. Stick to it. If you give your bottle brush buckeye, or really any plant for that matter, extra nitrogen throughout the growing season, give them a high nitrogen but well-balanced slow-release fertilizer. Uh, we carry our nursery special, which is 12 6 8 
12 is the amount of nitrogen, 12% nitrogen, which is plenty for a plant like this. It's still well balanced with some phosphorus and potassium, but it slowly breaks down over the course of three months. But the goal here is to give it religiously every three months. So starting in April or so, when they first bud out, apply a slow-release high-nitrogen fertilizer, well-balanced, of course. And then if your product is 60 days, 90 days, is like ours at the nursery, make sure you give them another dose of that at least within 60, 90 days. Now, it is hard to burn a plant with pelletized fertilizer. You see, burning really happens when you're applying nutrition or these uh, salt-based fertilizers onto the foliage of plants. And the salt-based fertilizer, if it's allowed to stay on top of the foliage, it will burn. But as long as you're placing it around the soil in a situation like this, it's going to be hard to burn it. You can do some damage in a pot, but you will be planting these in the ground. So give them as much nutrition as you possibly can. And then, Vicki, what I would say is to be sure to mulch them regularly at least once a year for several years because the point uh, or rather the growing habit of bottle brush buckeye is to sucker and so from the perimeter the edge of the root system uh, or the edge of the plant you might start to see suckers coming up out of the ground and that is why or the reason why bottle brush is a broad low shrub i say low i mean it still could be up to 15 feet but it gets much wider than than it does tall because of those suckers and those suckers are what you want to look for when you're looking for a plant to fill this situation when you say spreading type, we want a plant that is going to have multi-stems, not a single solitary trunk, but multi-stems. And bottle brush buckeye does indeed fit that bill. But as far as the slow growth, you can remedy that by making sure they have plenty of nitrogen fertilizer from April to Labor Day. Now, we got to take a break, but I do want to give Vicki some more options as far as other plants she can use, and one is a super fast grower and one of my favorites. So when we get back, more of these spreading type shrubs that get relatively large. Hang on tight, gang. We'll be right back. Greenness unfolded for the world to behold, stories untold, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, today is answering your questions. We are catching up because we've had some delays with UGA football games this week. But, uh, well, I'll just say go dogs. Have a good evening. Hopefully people will be partying instead of crying in this great state. I don't know. It's not going to affect me if they win or lose. But I do hope they win just because it's my alma, 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 alma mater. <laughs> okay, so to your gardening questions. Before we left the break. We were talking uh, about a question Vicky sent. Now, we were talking about bottle brush buckeye, which I didn't, I realized I didn't describe what that plant looks like to you. It, it's, it is a native plant to the southeast. And of course, buckeyes have these 
palm-shaped leaves. As a matter of fact, they have about five leaves, and they do look like chunky little fingers. <laughs> so it's got a big texture. The foliage is very large in texture. It looks great against anything small and tiny, tiny leaves like ferns and whatnot. And bottlebrush buckeye can grow in the full hot sun like Vicky's Slope. But bottlebrush buckeye can also grow under trees. They can grow in shadier sites. If they're in the sun, they will bloom more. But if they're in the shade, they'll still bloom. It may just not be as heavy. You'll still enjoy it, trust me. Okay, so in the summer, they get these long, almost uh, cattail-like flowers. They just uh, spire up, long spires, very slender, and come to a point, and they're full of these fluffy white blossoms. Can be very attractive. Sort of like a long cone, if you will. <laughs> but then, in the fall time, when their leaves fall, they turn very yellow. So this shrub, this large spreading shrub, not very tall, maybe 15 feet. Uh, well, that is pretty tall for a small landscape. But regardless, this large shrub that spreads has multi-season interest. Over the winter, there's no leaves on it. But still, its stems give this sort of twisted, kind of gnarly uh, architecture. So even without foliage, even without foliage, this plant could make a statement along the edge of a woodland, along a slope like Vicky's situation. And I think that uh, you will love it. I love it. Like I mentioned earlier, we don't sell a lot of bottle brush buckeye at the nursery, but I like to grow some every year uh, just because I love the plant. It is a great native plant. Now, with that in mind, you know, Vicky is concerned about the slower growth of this, which I think can be, uh, you can get a faster growth achieved by giving extra moisture and extra nutrition over the growing season and still be satisfied with its growth. But there is a very fast growing shrub that looks, uh, grows similar rather to the bottlebrush buckeye. And that's another native plant called elderberry. Now, elderberry or sambucus, wonderful name, right? Uh, sambucus, elderberry is another suckering shrub so it produces suckers around its root system and it spreads and creeps in all directions by that mode of transportation <laughs> now in your situation uh, Vicki you're looking for something that spreads and this plant is about the same height it gets to about the same height as the bottlebrush buckeye it is also a summer bloomer but instead of a long spire or cattail cone-like flower, it has flat flowers. Uh, multiple flowers come up and they're flat-topped. They're pure white. Uh, Bottlebrush buckeye is a little off-white, in my opinion. But the pure white blossoms of an elderberry, uh, they are gorgeous. And I was so blessed or lucky. <laughs> uh, somebody said, I don't need luck. I need Jesus, you know. So maybe I was blessed to uh, when we acquired our property that we live on, me and my wife. There are little colonies of elderberry. Now, most people would come in and chop those suckers down. But I know that they're very beneficial. They are a great source of pollen and nectar for butterflies and bees. The pollinators love the elderberry. The elderberry also produces a blackberry on that flat top flower, a bunch of little blackberries, kind of like a blueberry muffin might look. And that too can be very striking, very gorgeous. They're, I say black, but sort of purple black. And the birds love those. 
So not only is this plant beautiful in the garden and landscape, but it's also very beneficial to wildlife. If you happen to want to feed the wildlife, then look into elderberry. Now, elderberry has some medicinal properties. You can go into a health food store, the GNC or wherever, and you can buy uh, capsulated elderberry, uh, probably of the flower. I'm not sure what part of the plant, if any part of it, is medicinal. And look, I don't really know what the benefits are. I think it has something to do with uh, immunity or maybe stomach uh, helps. I'm not a medicinal plant guy, but I do know you can buy sambucus or elderberry. It's the same thing, just a different name. You know, all plants have several names. <laughs> it, gets it makes it very confusing. But you can go and buy that for health purposes. Be sure to talk to your doctor and look into it before you just go out and buy it. But um, they have been historically a medicinal plant. And also, some folks use the flowers, not necessarily the berries, which you think it might be the berries, but they use the flowers to make wines. So you may have heard of elderberry wine. And so usually that comes from the flower I discovered, not necessarily the berries. You know, people who make wine out of grapes, they use the fruit, they use the berries. Uh, but in this case, the wines that are made out of elderberry tend to be uh, the flower. Very interesting, very unique. Now, the other aspect of uh, this particular plant, elderberry, is that it too has decent fall color, another bright yellow, bright, maybe not quite golden uh, like the uh, bottle brush, but still a quite yellow leaf. Now, its leaves, I should describe it, its leaves look kind of like a feather, or the leaves are positioned like a feather. You have a strong middle rib, a mid-rib we call it in horticulture, and on either side, uh, the plant sets its leaves across from each other just like a feather would. Now, the leaves are pretty large. They're not small by any means. Uh, as a matter of fact, some leaves can look like branches. They're so long. But it is a little different texture because it's a bit finer since those leaves are setting on the midrib, kind of like a uh, feather. Uh, it's a little finer. And the last thing I need to mention about the elderberry probably is the fact that it does sucker. And it does just like the bottle brush buckeye, and it spreads on its root system. Uh, you'll have random uh, stems come up off the roots, and that plant is pushing outwards. So, Vicki, for your situation, if you don't think that bottle brush buckeye grows quickly enough, just know that this elderberry can do the same thing. It gives you similar benefits, similar uh, features of beauty. And lastly... It grows very quickly. Uh, if you cut down a mature elderberry to the ground in late winter, early spring, by the end of summer, you will probably have an 8-foot, maybe 10-foot tall plant once again. So if it's got a strong root system, it is going to grow, grow, grow. I mentioned just a minute ago that I do have those uh, elderberries that were found here natively on the property. Thank goodness that the uh, previous owners didn't trim them down. I had to cut out some blackberry vines and still working on cutting out blackberries and whatnot uh, to expose these plants and to get them growing and looking healthy. But I did some slight trimming on them and cut them maybe in half. But I'll tell you what, by this, by this time, because I, I did that earlier this year, by this time, uh, those plants have not just recovered what I trimmed back, but they have uh, maybe doubled from what I trimmed back. And they have created a thicket already uh, where you could tell there were one, two, or three plants. Uh, 
Now it's one large mass. And so, Vicki, you may want to consider elderberry. We've still got a few elderberries at the nursery. We're going to be propagating some this winter, I hope, uh, for some smaller plants, but I do have some in large pots. And no matter if you're starting with a small plant or a large plant, uh, elderberry is a beautiful addition to a sunny slope. You find them naturally in the prairies and uh, meadows around our areas, so they fit well in that open sloped area for sure. Okay, one last uh, uh, alternative for Vicki and her slope is a plant, another native plant. A lot of the plants in the south, uh, surprisingly, spread with suckers. But another plant that spreads with these suckers is called Itea. Or you may know it by Virginia Sweet Spire. Virginia Sweet Spire. Now, Virginia Sweet Spire grows in sunny or shady sites, but it's going to look best in the garden in the sun. Uh, But they naturally sucker, and their branches actually arch over. And so for a slope, I do like to use some itea because the iteas will arch over the slope and dangle their flowers right in your face. They, too, have white, fluffy uh spike flowers, but they bloom much earlier than elderberry or bottlebrush buckeye. They bloom in about Mother's Day, so still spring. Not early spring, but it's near nearing the end, mid of spring. So around Mother's Day, we can almost guarantee that these plants are going to be blooming. And I love to take them uh, to the uh, Well, I know that COVID has uh, caused the garden extravaganza here in Cleveland to be closed for a couple of years, but I understand they plan to open it up next year. They plan to open it up next spring. And that show is always, that extravaganza is always at the time that these babies bloom. So I'm always sure to bring some up to the garden extravaganza and offer them for people to look at and take home. Now, uh, the other thing about ITEA, is they have red stems when they ripen. So over winter, they do drop their leaves. But in the fall, they have red, blood red, blood red fall color. Itea beside Bottlebrush Buckeye in the fall, you've got blood red and gold or the yellow on elderberry. It can make an impressive slope. Uh, So red leaves and red stems in fall and through winter. And even though they're, you know, have naked stems in the winter, they still do add those arching branches, which is a cool architecture, especially for a slope. So Vicki, what you may want to do, what you may want to do is use some, not just one plant, but use different types of plants. And you could combine all three of these to fill in the slope, to achieve what you want to do, but also uh, you can be sure to have flowers in spring, throughout summer, and then a beautiful fall color, beautiful fall colors uh, in the autumn. And so don't just think maybe about using one, but use multiple. And of course, with the different blooming times, you're extending that blooming. You're also providing nectar for pollinators throughout the year, and it can be pretty attractive. So I know the concern is that bottlebrush buckeye grows pretty slowly. So maybe if you combine bottlebrush with elderberry and itea, you can fill in that slope pretty quickly, and it will be very southern because all these plants are found here in the south natively, and of course, low maintenance because you won't have to spray for diseases or insects. These these uh, 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 particular plants are used to the diseases and insects in our area, so they're very low uh, with disease issues, uh, and so 
it will be fast cover and will look beautiful throughout the year. Well, Vicki, I do appreciate you taking the time to answer the questions. I'm uh, Send us a question. I'm just sorry that I am sort of overlooked that one uh, from some time back. But again, we do Q&A here on New Southern Garden. Uh, we try to do it once a month. Now, of course, with the football schedules and all that, we're a little thrown off with the holiday schedules, a little thrown off. But we will always try to give a Q&A at some point uh, to answer your questions. So if you have a question like Karen and Vicki have had today, be sure to check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. Of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram. You can send us questions there. We love to uh, see pictures as well. Pictures uh, in this business, I tell folks, pictures, they are worth more than a thousand words because we need to be able to see some of these things. If you have a plant you want identified, it's helpful to send us a picture. If you have a disease or an insect, it's good to have a picture so we can really see what's going on. And you can send pictures very easily on Facebook, Instagram. Just be sure to tag us at New Southern Garden. Oh, and be sure to subscribe and like our page and follow us. Well, we've got one more segment today, and we're going to continue to talk about questions. Our, your questions, our answers. When we get back. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. All right, gang. Well, of course, we're coming on the final segment of today's show. This is our Q&A week. Uh, basically, our Q&A week for November. I try to guarantee at least one Q&A week a month, and we've been delayed. But we are here to answer these questions. Now, already today, we have talked about vines growing up trees. Do vines choke trees as they climb? We've also talked about low low-growing but still large shrubs that spread. So if you can imagine a shrub that isn't is wider than it is tall, you know, that's kind of unusual. And I gave some examples uh, for Vicky on that. But if you've just joined us and missed any part of this program, don't worry. You can, uh, you can listen to this entire program in just a few short hours online at NewSouthernGarden.com and also all of the podcasting apps uh, that you could find. If we're not on something, just let us know. We'll try to make sure the show gets on there because I want to make sure that uh, if you like to garden and grow, that even if you decide to sleep in, till 11 (laughs) o'clock on a Saturday morning that you can still listen to uh, this program. So be sure to check us out at NewSouthernGarden.com, Facebook, and Instagram. Now, the next question that I want to address is not necessarily from just one individual, but it is a question that I answer multiple times a year. And that question deals with which mulch, which mulch is best? What mulch do I use in my garden? Now, remember, remember, 
that uh, not all mulches are the same, and I'll talk about the details on how they're different, but mulching is important. To me, it is more important that you do mulch rather than what you decide to mulch with. I'll start off by saying that probably the most important factor of mulch is that it be organic. An organic mulch, and I don't mean organic like it's not treated with pesticides or chemicals. No, organic matter. Organic matter means it came from a source that is either living or was living. Okay? (laughs) So leaf mulch came from a source that is living. The, The leaves themselves were alive, and now they're dead. They're on the ground. You rake them up, you pile them up, and you spread them in your beds. How about the uh, shredded bark? Shredded bark came from a tree that once was living. Even chicken manure, folks. Chicken manure is an organic uh, source of organic matter. Uh, It's a source of organic matter because it is a product. It came from something that was living, and it's highly nutritious. Now, uh, I want to talk about it this time of year because I want to emphasize that if you have not mulched your important garden spaces you probably want to do so soon because one of the key factors of mulch or one of the things that it helps us to do is to keep the ground warm in the winter to protect our plants roots and then in the summer it helps to keep the soil cooler so that the roots stay cooler rather than getting scorched and so mulch also plays another uh, a number of factors which we've talked about at length on the show so be sure to check out previous episodes at newsoutherngarden.com but i want to make sure that you are protecting the temperature you are uh, moderating the temperature of your soil by using mulch around your plant so be sure to do that soon now the main question we usually get is do you use pine straw or do you use the chipped up wood the chipped up bark Well, either one is fine. As long as you're using it, go ahead and use it. It's really a matter of what look you like best. Some people tell me, I just hate pine straw. It just looks nasty. And then some people tell me, oh, I hate the barks. They look gross, you know. So if you like the look of one or the other, choose it. That'd be where I'd start. But I'll take it a step further and say that the difference in, let's use pine straw and mulch, because those are the two biggest uh, mulches, that, mulches that people use. There are some differences between them from the plant and the soil's perspective. They're both going to get the job done of moderating the temperature, moderating the moisture in the soil, and they're going to help prevent and suffocate weeds. But um, as far as what they are made of is much different. So let me give you a brief rundown of carbon and nitrogen in these products now carbon is what we want to get into the earth because carbon is the black stuff you know whenever you say have a fire and what's left of the wood is charcoal very dark very black okay that is the carbon that was not burned away but carbon needs to be put into the soil because it helps to build the health of the soil. Helps with drainage, it helps with loaminess, helps with fertility, it holds on to nutrients. And putting carbon back into the soil is what we intend to do when we say building our soils with organic matter. But there's also nitrogen in these products. Nitrogen is important because the bacteria that help to break the carbon down use nitrogen as a food source in order to do that in order to get carbon into the ground. And so you've got to have a good balance of carbon and nitrogen uh, so that there's food for the microorganisms that are going to break down the carbon. Now, this is a big discussion when you get into composting, okay? The carbon to nitrogen ratio. 
But anything woody, okay, anything woody has a lot of carbon and a little less nitrogen. Anything green, like leaves, okay, or in this case, pine straw, they are leaves. We call them needles, but they're still the leaves of a pine tree. The needles and leaves of plants have more nitrogen than they do carbon. The leaves and needles break down faster, but they don't necessarily put a lot of carbon into the soil. They will, and they, they will build the soil, but much slower than a woody or barky type material, like the shredded trees or the shredded bark, uh, ground up chips. Those, in my opinion, are more helpful to building your soil than pine straw. But, again, I can't uh, not say that having one or the other is better than having nothing. Because they both will build the soil, pine straw and leaves, at a little slower pace. Now, the wood chips and the bark, they break down slower. But as they break down, they do release more carbon back into the soil and help to build a nice topsoil that your plants can grow in. So what you might do if you're looking to build the soil while you're mulching is to use leaves down as a base and put some kind of leaves or pine straw and then the next year cover that with wood chips. You may alternate using pine straw and wood chips. What that will help to do is to provide a little more nitrogen for the bacteria and the fungus to break down the carbon in the woody stuff. Now, with that being said, there's a lot of nitrogen in manures, whether it's chicken manure or whether it's cow manure or even horse manure, uh, anything from these animals that, you know, graze on grasses and corns and things like that is a good source of nitrogen. There's still carbon in there, don't get me wrong, but there will be high amounts of nitrogen. Now, other than the smelliness of the manures, manures can be used as a nice uh, mulch. I'll tell you, we're about to be running out of time here, but I'll tell you that at my place, we have a lot of trees, a lot of oak trees, uh, there's some pear trees and all kinds of maples, you know. So i beginning this year to gather them up and pile them up and use the leaves as my main source of nitrogen and really as mulch. They won't last for very long, but if I do this year after year, it's a lot of work, but if I do this year after year, then I'm building the soil and I'm increasing the fertility and also giving uh, the plants the food they need and the place to grow. So I just wanted to sort of clarify that there are differences between pine straw and wood chip mulch. But use mulch and get it down this weekend because it will help to keep your soil warmer over this cold coming winter. Okay, gang, for New Southern Garden, I'm Nathan Wilson. I'm glad you've joined us today. I hope if you have a question, you'll check us out online, NewSouthernGarden.com. Now stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.